you know, you're still talking about at that point an army of, you know, 220 million people who are paying you on a monthly basis, $12, $15, whatever it is. I mean, that, that's an awful lot of money. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Ben Landy. It's Tuesday, May 23rd. Today, I'm joined by former Wall Street banker Bill Cohan to talk about Netflix's incredible comeback and how Bill Ackman mistimed the streaming market. And later, Bill and I get into Bob Iger's dilemma at Disney and whether ESPN can really survive as a standalone service. All that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm Ben Landy, sitting in for Peter Hamby, and I am very delighted to have Bill Cohan on the program. Hey, Bill. Hey, Ben. Great to be here. Thank you. So, Bill, I wanted to have you on as our resident Wall Street guy to talk about what feels like another huge, huge inflection point moment for the streaming industry, the sort of economic roller coaster we've been on the past few weeks and months as we've been getting in these quarterly earnings reports from Netflix, Disney, Paramount, et cetera, et cetera. And I definitely want to get into later what Bob Iger is potentially doing with ESPN. But let's start with Netflix, which was sort of originally this first domino to fall way back in November 2021 that set off this huge panic sell-off among all these companies with streaming platforms when Netflix reported they were seeing some slowing subscriber growth and it sort of rattled the entire pandemic-era overpriced industry. Fast forward to the present, and you know the stock is not back to where it was way back at its all-time high, but... It's been going up for the last year straight. It's basically doubled off of its low. And I wanted to get your take here because I, I feel like you'd been sort of arguing all along that actually Netflix was in a much, much stronger position than anyone was giving this company credit for. It's definitely a stronger position than its peers. And right now it looks like the market is sort of validating that. Yeah, well, you'll remember, Ben, that you know our friend Bill Ackman at uh, Pershing Square, the hedge, hedge fund, uh, had taken a long position in Netflix of around a billion dollars. And then after their first quarter 2022 report about you know losing 2 million subscribers, he bailed. 
the market freaked. He bailed out, perfecting a, a loss of about $400 million. And, you know, I never understood that because, okay, so maybe the growth trajectory, you know, slowed. The slope of that line, you know, flattened out a little bit or even went down. Uh, but, you know, you're still talking about at that point an army of, you know, 220 million people who are paying you on a monthly basis. I don't know what the number on average is, but $12, $15, whatever it is. I mean, that, that's an awful lot of money coming in. And, you know, the product is very satisfying. I mean, it's not always, you know, they're, they're, what they offer, you know, at Netflix isn't always your premium programming or whatever. But by and large, I think people have really taken to, you know, between having, you know, high resolution flat screen TVs that are the size of a wall, so that might as well be a, a movie screen, to be, you know, in your own home when you can pause it whenever you want, you can watch it whenever you want, you can take a break and go get something to eat or drink. I mean, all those things are just so convenient and so desirable and and we've really taken to it that i never understood you know bailing at that moment and perfecting a 400 million dollar loss and now you know if he'd held on you know i don't know what exactly you know i don't remember what his basis was but you know the stock is up 100 percent. i think people have come to the realization that netflix has a model uh that's uh, not only working, it's also migrating uh, people or opening up even more subscribers to the advertising tier. Again, their 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 offerings in terms of content are fine. You know, they're not succession. It's clear that HBO or Max or whatever they're calling themselves these days, you know, generally speaking, has a higher quality of, of offerings, but it's working. They're profitable. They're showing the rest of the world how to do streaming from an economic uh, point of view, and they're they're making it work. I think they're the and only streaming product that's profitable, right? They're the only streaming product that's profitable. You know, as far as I can tell. I mean, you know, I'm not exactly sure uh, what Apple TV's uh, you know financials uh, uh, look like or or Prime uh, looks like. Oh, I'm sure Apple TV is losing money, although it, presumably it doesn't matter to them whatsoever. Yeah, there's a lot of different models out there, and maybe there's some some niche players that are making money. But among the big scale players, it's just Netflix right now, which is which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, right, exactly, and and it has to do with that incredible army that they have put together. They have a standing army of now 230 million people. So, I think at the time when Bill bailed, I wrote that I think that would not be a great idea and be a mistake. I think that's been proven correct, but doesn't matter what I think. I'm not a hedge fund manager. And, and I, you know, obviously uh, have admiration for Bill. But, you know, Netflix has uh, proven quite resilient uh, over the years. I got to give them credit. You know, I first wrote about them, you know, in Vanity Fair 11, 12 years ago when Reed Hastings uh, made the decision to try to split the company up in two between a red envelope uh, business and a streaming business. And, he got his head handed to him by uh, investors, uh, recouped through that idea out the window, and has sort of uh, been off to the races ever ever since. They've made mistakes. They've figured them out. They've rebounded from them. I find it to be quite a resilient uh, company, uh, all things considered. And I'd rather be in Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos's uh, shoes than Bob Iger's right now. That's for sure. 
Yeah, Bill, you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Ackman, and it really is pretty remarkable that he made this huge billion-dollar bet, and then he bailed out sort of the first sight of trouble. He lost a lot of money, presumably. Obviously, buying the dip is not always um, or, or sometimes ever good investment advice. But, you know, in this case, if he'd had the courage of his conviction in his own thesis about the strength of Netflix's business, he could have doubled down when it was at its low. And presumably, he'd be sitting on a pretty healthy profit. And, you know, to your point about the 220 million subscriber army, I think sometimes the, the sort of simple, intuitive argument is the correct one. Netflix just has so many people. They have achieved the scale that everybody else is chasing. And they, they don't totally own the market, but they do have a sort of market-making power in their ability to set the conversation around the types of TV shows people are watching, the types of movies people are talking about, even when they're totally trashy movies that are, you know, <laughs> objectively bad. They've got everyone watching them because they're on the, the, the front page, the homepage of Netflix, and you almost have no choice but to involve yourself in the content that they're pushing to you. Yeah, if you want to be part of the quote conversation, Ben, you know, you've probably got to at least watch one of the top 10, you know, most popular Netflix shows in the USA right now. I think they used to have sort of more quality programming. When I was writing that, uh, you know, Vanity Fair story, they were just getting ready to start filming House of Cards. And uh, I interviewed Ted and went to see him in his office and LA and he actually shared with me you know, after I signed a confidentiality agreement the script of House of Cards and uh, you know I read it and I I could tell that uh, you know they were definitely onto something with that show and then in fact uh, you know the script was clearly a quality product and but the show was of course even better than than the script I mean it really set them up beautifully for what they were trying to do, which was to also provide some original programming along with what they buy. And, uh, you know, and they're certainly spending billions doing that. And then just thinking about a Ackman again, I mean, you know, he, he often does, I mean, he's sort of quirky because he often has the courage of his convictions, like he, he did with Herbalife, and it cost him a billion dollars. And he did with Valiant Pharmaceutical, and it cost him $4 billion. Here's Here was an opportunity for him to have the courage of his conviction, which was right, and instead he bailed and lost $400 million. On the other hand, he's the owner of the greatest trade on a time value of money basis that's ever happened when he you know, invested $27 million in credit default swaps at the beginning of the pandemic and turned that into $3.6 billion in three weeks. So you can't count the guy out. This is one I just didn't understand. And, and uh, you know, maybe Bill should, you know, hire me to be one of his uh, portfolio <laughs> managers because, right. I you know, I yeah. called the Netflix one right. Now, Puck's investment advisory services are, are coming soon. Yeah. Well, Not I mean, quite if, yet. If, if, um, if Twitter can have banking and financial services, you know, and, and, and Elon can pretend that that's going to be a real thing with a straight face, I think Puck financial services is just one iterative turn away. Um, but this is not investment advice, of course. Of course. Bill, before we get off this topic, because I do want to get to Disney and ESPN as well, one piece of information that Ackman did not have access to when he, he bailed out of Netflix is they have launched this new ad-supported tier. It's $7 a month, and Netflix says they have almost 5 million active users per month, which sort of blew away expectations for how many people they were going to get early in the experimentation with this product. 
The new users on the ad-supported tier represents a quarter of all the new subscribers. And the really amazing thing also is that they've said that the average revenue per user for people who are now paying for this cheaper plan is actually a lot higher, as in they are making more money from the ads already in, in a sort of suppressed price market than they are for people who are just paying for the no ad experience. Those seem like pretty encouraging numbers so far. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean... Uh... You know, one of the things I like about streaming are no ads, right? I find that on linear TV, ad-supported linear TV, Ben, you know, you try to watch a show and it just goes to seven or eight or ten minutes of ads. It's it's painful, especially, you know, when you're watching the linear TV channels that I watch, which are for the older crowd, and so it's a bunch of geriatric, you know, drugs that uh, they think we all need to stave off whatever illness we're about to get. Uh, and, you know, it just is so painful. And so it doesn't interest me because one of the things I really like is to be able to watch this stuff on an ad-free basis. Uh, but I, you know, I definitely see the appeal because obviously it's less expensive and that matters to people. And especially if there's going to be more and more of these, you know, if they unbundle and you're going to have to, you know, pay more for these channels that you want, you know, that's obviously a less expensive way to do it. And we're obviously conditioned to watch ads and deal with ads or use them as a chance to go do it, something else for a minute or two. You know, I get it. I get why it's uh, working. Uh, you know, it's not for me, but that's fine. There are a lot of things that aren't for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, they want to grow that 220 million subscriber number. And they, they think maybe some of those net new additions are going to come from people who are maybe more price sensitive or they're in other regions where the ad supported tier is more attractive. And, and it is sort of amazing that if they are cannibalizing their own audience a little bit, actually they're making more money from those people off of the ads, even outside the US, than they're making from the ad supported. But um, Bill, let's go to a quick break and then we'll talk about Disney and ESPN. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back. Bill, on yesterday's episode, John and Dylan talked a little bit about ESPN, but I wanted to get your own Wall Street perspective on what's happening here as Disney is beginning to think seriously about how to take their very profitable live sports channel and transition it into a streaming service. It seems on on the face of it sort of unfathomable how they'll ever make up the difference in lost revenue. But talk to me about your view of the economics here and whether it's even possible to run ESPN as we know it as a direct-to-consumer business. You know, right right now, Ben, I'm sort of of the view uh, in the camp of Tom Rogers, who uh, was, you know, one of the founders of NBC's cable businesses and the one of the founders of CNBC and MSNBC, and he, he's been saying a lot lately that none of the Hollywood executives have articulated how the streaming business is going to replace the linear TV slash cable channel business that they've enjoyed for so long and that has been immensely profitable to them for so long. And, you know, frankly, I, I don't see how necessarily the economics are going to work. And if you look at what smart people are saying. I mean, smart people like Warren Buffett, who, for whatever crazy reason, is uh, the largest investor in Paramount Global, even though he, uh, because of the way the dual class voting works, he doesn't have the votes because that's still with the Redstones, but he does have the economics. And, uh, you know, he said at the, his annual meeting that the essentially the economics stink, that it's essentially too competitive, and that the providers, the streamers need to, you know, raise their prices. But of course, if they raise their prices, then they risk people bailing. So they're in a very, very difficult economic slash financial position. And so aside from Netflix, as we just said, they're basically all losing money, even though we don't really know what Apple TV is like, or Prime TV is like from an economics point of view. So it's this weird conundrum. It's this product that everybody basically likes. We really like the convenience of watching this kind of content, you know, in our own home, on our big screen, you know, HD TVs. You know, it's just more convenient in almost every way than going to a movie theater. And I know people still talk about doing that, but, you know, I really can't count the number of times. I used to go all the time to the movies, and, you know, that's very rare now. And I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I don't have to see air in a movie theater. I can see it on Prime TV, you know, a week later and not feel like I'm missing out. I think it remains a very tough business, and I think that that's what 
you know, the folks and the number of crunchers that Disney obviously know, and they're trying to see if they unbundle ESPN, their live sports channel from the cable bundle, which is, you know, happening in real time anyway, because people are leaving, you know, the subscribers are falling rapidly, people are cutting the cord, and to try to then get people to pay up for it as a separate streaming channel, I, I mean, I haven't seen the numbers that they must have crunched to make them convinced that this is worth trying. I just don't see how it's going to work. I just don't see it. And, you know, if you're a person who has cut the cord and gotten, you know, abandoned your cable TV subscription, what are you going to, you did that for a reason. Either you did it because you didn't want ESPN or you didn't care about losing ESPN or you didn't want to pay for ESPN. Now you're going to turn around and then pay for it because you've already made the decision that you're not going to pay for it. I don't know, again, what we used to call the Lotus 123 model uh, looks like on that, Ben, the spreadsheet model, but I just don't see how this is going to work. And this is just another woe that's got to be beguiling Bob Iger, uh, you know, at the moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, very smart people work at Disney, very smart people work at ESPN, I'm sure. They've, they've got their best minds trying to figure this out. But the more you think about it, the more of a puzzle this is. I mean, like you said, how do you price a product like this? When you go DTC, there are going to be fewer people who want to pay for it. And suddenly you've got real price discovery, sort of for the first time ever, of ESPN as a standalone product, a standalone service. It's been separated from the rest of the, the cable bundle that we had for decades. And it turns out it's probably going to have to be pretty expensive. Dylan reported the other day that the Disney and ESPN looked at this back in 2014. They were running the numbers. And, you know, they, they broke out the Excel spreadsheets. And they were looking at what the price is going to have to be. And they're saying, OK, can it be $3.99? No. Can it be $6.99? No. And, and, and they're going up and up and up until they're hitting $20 and realizing, oh, my God, we're already at a ceiling where nobody's going to want to pay for this thing except for a, a very small number of fans. And at that point, the product itself is really going to have to change. You can't necessarily support increasingly expensive sports rights. You're not going to be able to have every game, definitely not going to have regional games that only a small number of people care about. And meanwhile, that was back in 2014. Now you've got Apple breathing down the neck of ESPN. They're buying up sports rights. Ditto Amazon. It's a very, very competitive landscape. And it's just hard to imagine how they get this thing done. You know, Ben, I wouldn't be surprised if this is all just one big head fake on Disney's part. I wouldn't be surprised if Disney at the end of the day, swaps ESPN for Hulu, for Comcast's one-third stake in Hulu, and, you know, whatever shoring up they have to do. Because oh, there are a number of things. I, I, I don't see how trying to make ESPN streaming a standalone business or product is, is going to work and is going to replace what's happening, you know, as people continue to disconnect from cable TV. I think, I, I don't see that. I don't see Disney wanting to add another $9 billion of debt to their balance sheet. And I think that they would be well served just saying, okay, let's put ESPN into the hands of somebody who wants it more than we do. And and I think that's Comcast because Comcast has a, has a number of sports channels. Brian Roberts loves his sports. It would fit in beautifully with what they got already. And it's a, a way for him to get an asset that he really wants, you know, in exchange for that Hulu stake as opposed to cash, which is nice. No one's going to complain about cash, but I think ESPN could be more valuable in the hands of Brian Roberts. So I 
still think there's a 50-50 chance. It's all just one big head fake for people to think that Disney, uh, you know, is going to try this ESPN app situation. I just don't see how the economics work. I think that's going to expose more of a problem uh, at Disney than already exists. And the best thing is, I think, you know, get rid of it, uh, swap it for the Hulu stake. I'll probably be wrong, and we'll know in six months that I was wrong. But still, I still think it's a good idea. No, Bill, I I love this idea. I've loved it since you first pitched it. I think listeners are getting extraordinary value from something that will soon go behind the curtain of of Puck's own boutique investment uh, and advisory services. Uh, But for now, this one's free. Edge slash hedge fund. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. We've got to leave it there. But Bill, thanks as always. Appreciate the analysis. Appreciate the big thoughts. We'll have you back on soon. Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.